Let's pray together before we, before we start. Lord, we thank you that your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And so we uh, position ourselves underneath the authority of your word this morning. We ask God, would you speak? Would you change us? Would you reveal yourself to us? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, in my experience, the uh, Christian life is very up and down. I don't know if that's your experience, but uh, one day I'm enjoying the kind of tangible presence of God. I'm aware of my freedom from sin. I'm kind of bubbling over in gratitude. And in the next, I'm doubting God's existence. I find myself bitter. Can't seem to get my head above the parapet. I'm just kind of stuck. I'm unsure of my standing before God. I feel like I can't access joy. The Christian life is up and down. It's hard to have confidence. I'm aware that my faith is often feeble. Uh, you're likely aware of that reality too. It's hard to have confidence. It's hard to have confidence in who Jesus says he is. It's hard to have confidence in our security as Christians. It's often hard to have confidence that our faith will stand the test of time, that we'll make it to the end, that we'll run the race with endurance, that God will keep a hold of us. It's hard to have confidence because in our day-to-day -day lives, we're used to not having confidence, to the reality that the life we've built for ourselves might kind of careen off the tracks just with a job loss or a cancer diagnosis or a breakup. We are only that away from the illusion of confidence being shattered in our lives. And it's a kind of tragic reality for us to realize the thing I thought I had confidence in, I can't really trust. And in John 10, the crowds come to Jesus lacking in confidence. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're really the Messiah, would you just tell us plainly? They don't have confidence in who Jesus says he is. And if they lack confidence in his identity, they definitely don't have confidence in their security. If they don't know who Jesus is, then they have no security in what their future holds. They, they wonder with us, will our faith go careening off the tracks? Can I trust Jesus really? John writes at the end of his gospel that he has written, quote, so that we might know that Jesus is the Messiah. And so that we might know, so that we might have confidence. John's going to hold out the words of Jesus to us in chapter 10 this morning. Because Jesus is going to give us a glimpse into God. And by that glimpse, he's going to grant us confidence. Confidence in who he is, confidence in the Son, and confidence in our security. Jesus wants to give us confidence this morning. And so he's going to do that by giving us a glimpse into God. I remember the first time at the Abbey was welcomed into one of my family gatherings. Our families are very different. And so it was a kind of shock for her to come into that environment. She was seeing something new. She, I think in that moment went, this makes sense. I know why Lewis is so argumentative. I get it. I understand where he came from now. I've seen it with my own eyes. The kind of family space that was usually blocked off 
usually reserved for that kind of intimate uh, family circle, suddenly opened up to another person who caught a glimpse into the inner life of my family. And Jesus in John 10 is not just going to tell us where he came from. He's already done that. He's told us he came from the Father. He's told us he is God in the flesh. But this morning he's going to kind of bring us up to the window. He's going to allow us to peer in, into the family gathering of God, into the inner life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so let's just peer in the window with him to start. Have a look briefly at verses 30 and then 38 of John 10. In verse 30, Jesus simply says, I and the Father are one. Then down to verse 38. The Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus gives us a glimpse into the interior family life of the Trinitarian God. And here's what we see, that the Father and the Son, and by extension the Spirit, are not just coexistent gods, not just different ways of describing the one person, but are somehow mysteriously in one another. Where Abby got to witness the joking and the shouting and the love of my family, in Jesus' words, we peek through the window and get a glimmer of an even deeper love, a love in which Father, Son, and Spirit are utterly one, distinct but not separate. Not only united for a kind of mission to come and save us, but united eternally as three persons in one God. We've seen this throughout John, is that the Father and the Son, which is Jesus' emphasis, it's not to exclude the Spirit, are united in several kind of distinct ways. They're united in name. Jesus invokes the name Yahweh for himself. They're united in word. In John 12, Jesus will say, quote, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. They're united in their works. If you look ahead to verse 32, Jesus will claim that all of the works he has done are those that the Father has given him to do. And they're united in mission. The Father has sent the Son to save the world through him. Jesus' oneness with the Father is almost John's primary concern. It's almost his kind of ground level uh, thing that he wants to get across in his gospel. And the kind of unity and in one anotherness that John lays out has a technical term which can kind of help us to understand. The earliest Christians called it perichoresis. And that word at the beginning is peri, which we get the word perimeter from, means around. Choresis, we get the word choreography from there, means to dance or move. And so perichoresis really means to dance around. In the words of Tim Keller, Jesus gives us a glimpse into a God who is a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. The theologian Donald MacLeod puts it this way. He said, the three persons occupy the same space. They are in and around and through each other. They sit together in the center of the same throne. They are each the center of that same throne. We get an imperfect image of this kind of unity in marriage here on earth. Two distinct people become one flesh. 
But the mystery of the Trinity is so much more profound. Three persons who are distinct and yet not separate at all. Augustine put it simply, he said, each are in each and all in each and each in all and all are one. Try and get your head around that. It's mystery of mysteries. There's a reason that Jesus just ushers us up to a window, a kind of foggy window and lets us peek through. There's a reason that we can't see this in all its glory. But even at a glance, we see a world-changing truth. The God of the universe, however you've imagined him, exists as an eternal reciprocal dance of mutual love. That's who God is. God is a dance of joy and love. You mentioned earlier next Sunday after our meeting, we're going to spend more time together just peering through the window. Peering through the window and looking at the Trinitarian God, delighting in the Trinity. I encourage you to come along and just delight a bit more with us. But Jesus hasn't given us this very brief glimpse just so that we can worship. He's given us a glimpse into the divine dance so that we can have confidence. Remember, that's how we began. The religious crowds are lacking confidence. They're unsure about who Jesus is. We often come lacking confidence about the future of our lives and our faith. And so Jesus is going to take the kind of glimpse into God that he's given us. A glimpse into the kind of reciprocal dance of love that is the God of the universe. And leverage it for our confidence. He's not going to leave us there. He's going to help us to see why we can have confidence. Both in who he is, confidence in the Son, and in where we're headed, confidence in our security. Look again with me at John 10. I will begin in verse 22. As Jesus gives us confidence in the Son. Verse 24 onwards, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then down to verse 37, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. How can we possibly have confidence in who Jesus says he is? Surely there are thousands of religions, thousands of self-styled prophets, thousands of people claiming to have the truth about God. How could I possibly choose between them? Well, Jesus pins the answer down, not in an argument, not in kind of logic, but in his identity as the eternal son of God, in his kind of glimpse into God that he's given us. Notice his logic in verse 37. Whether you like me or not is irrelevant. 
what you think about my ideas. Put that to one side for a minute. Look at what I've done. Look at what I will do. Look at who I am. Jesus moves the locus of their questioning from his words to his works. And he does that because of his claim that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Let me illustrate. Um, Plato, the great Greek philosopher, he famously kind of put across this allegory of a cave. And in the cave, there's some prisoners and they're chained and they face the inner wall of the cave. They were born there. They've never seen the outside world. And occasionally some shadows move across the back wall of the cave. And to them, that is the entire world. They don't know that they're just shadows from the outside of the cave being illuminated by a fire. And then one day, one of the prisoners breaks free of his chains and escapes. And as he comes out the cave, he's blinded by the sun and scrambles back in. And he says, guys, you'll never believe it. This isn't the universe. This is a cave. There's a world out there. Come with me. But they mock him. There's no evidence of their outside world. They think, we know that everything that exists is in this cave. No one's ever been outside. This guy's a madman. He, he claims to have some kind of superior knowledge. Why should we trust him? They refuse to leave the cave. Put that to one side. John's vision of Jesus is very different to the man who managed to scramble out the cave and came back with a message. Jesus isn't just one of us who's managed to escape and come scrambling back with good news. He hasn't just seen the light. He is the light. He hasn't just caught a glimpse of another world. He is from another world. He hasn't just got a great message about God to give us. He is God. Every other religion in world history is born in Plato's cave. Somebody has a vision or a prophecy from God and the rest of us are just supposed to believe them. And that's it. We have no more grounds for confidence. I'll just trust that what you heard was really from God. Who could ever know if that person was mad? Who could ever know if they were telling the truth? Confidence can't be found at the back of a cave. And every other religious system leaves us in a dark cave, facing the wall, wondering what's behind us. But in Jesus, we don't have a visionary prophet who's speculating about God. We have God himself come to us. Look at my works, Jesus says. If you won't believe my words, look at my works that have come from the Father. Think of the healing of the paralytic in Mark's gospel. Jesus forgives a paralyzed man's sins and the Pharisees are outraged. And Jesus says, what is harder? To say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Stand up and walk. If you won't believe my words, look at my works. Look at my works when we are up against the cave wall and we all are we have no idea what lies beyond <clears throat> we're kind of <clears throat> hopelessly groping around trying to figure it out trying to kind of 
figure it out by our reasoning. <clears throat> we should not be confident in that situation. We shouldn't be confident in our musings about God and life and faith. But because the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son, we can have confidence about who Jesus says he is. And we can have confidence because Jesus is not speculating. <clears throat> you might think this morning, I already got one, thanks. Man. <laughs> you might think as I'm talking, well, it's easy for Jesus to say those things. It's easy for Jesus to say, well, look at my works and not my words. It's easy for Jesus to say that he's in the Father and the Father is in me and me and the Father are one. Jesus would have you this morning look at his miracles. Look at his resurrection. A fact in history. Not an idea, not a concept, not an abstract religious thought, but an event that happened at a moment in time. Look at his death and resurrection and have confidence in the Son whose works come from the Father. That's what he says. Don't, don't listen to my words. Look at my works. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We can recognize the voice of Jesus. We can have confidence in the identity of the Son of God. Jesus holds that confidence out to you this morning in our doubts, in our double-mindedness. He says, look at my works. I have come from the Father. Find yourself wrestling, wondering, doubting, worrying. Our hope is not in an idea. It's in a moment in time when the Son of God rose from the grave. Look at my works, not my words. And to those of us who do have confidence in the Son of God, Jesus wants to give us confidence of a whole other kind. To those who are confident in the Son, Jesus wants to give confidence in our security. Look how Jesus continues in verse 28. <clears throat> I give them, that's his sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. James Sussman is an anthropologist. He spent his life with the kind of hunter-gatherer tribes of the Kalahari region in Africa. And they're thought to be the oldest surviving civilization on earth. They've stayed in the one place for thousands of years. And Sussman writes about why they have such staying power. Why did they not get broken up or move? And here's where he lands. He says, unlike other people groups who believe that the grass is always greener, or always moving to find the next best thing, the Kalahari tribes had, quote, full trust in the abundant provision of their environment. And so they stayed where they were. They had full security in their environment. Unlike them, we jump from thing to thing. One more promotion. 
one more pay rise, one more sexual encounter, one more night out, just one more, and everything will be as it should. The grass is always greener. We are completely unable to find security as a culture. And Susman is so insightful because he sees this, that the only way to security is to be convinced of the abundance of our current environment rather than always striving for the next thing. And that is exactly what Jesus wants to give us this morning. A confidence in the abundance of our spiritual environment. That we don't, we don't need to chase after the next thing. We don't need to leave the pastures of Jesus to find new ones. And that confidence again will come from having caught a glimpse of the inner life of God. Notice Jesus' language. He says two things. He says both, nobody will snatch them from my hand <clears throat> and nobody will snatch them from my Father's hand. The hand of the Son and the hand of the Father are united in keeping Jesus' sheep safe. Here's what he wants us to see. Jesus and the Father are not at odds when it comes to your salvation. It's not that the Father was angry with you and Jesus loves you and so he got in the way. It's not that Jesus is committed to you against the Father as well and he's going to need to convince God to let you into the kingdom of God. It's that before time even began, the Trinitarian God committed within himself or among himself to save you. And having saved you to hold you till the end, to keep your faith secure, to preserve your faith. Friends, just look how secure you are. If you are one of Christ's, then you are in Christ. And Christ is in the Father. And therefore you with him are in the Father. And not only that, but God by his Spirit is in you. And so you are somehow in God and God is in you and God is in God. That is an impenetrable source of security. Nothing can break that. Nothing can get through. There's a reason that Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because God is around you and he is within you and he is beside you and behind you and before you and nobody can get past God. Will things work out? Will my faith persevere? Will I last to the end? No one can snatch them from my Father's hand, Jesus says. And we think, Jesus, you don't understand. My faith feels weak. I wake up in the morning and I don't know if I'm still going to go and, and follow you that day. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. My doubts are constant. There is a gnawing in my ear telling me that Jesus doesn't love me. Every minute of the day, no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. But I'm afraid, and I'm sinful, and I'm weak. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. What is stronger? Your lack of faith or God's stubborn commitment to your faith. 
your sin or his salvation. Your stubbornness or God's power. Your faithlessness or God's faithfulness. That's a rhetorical question. You cannot, you can't outrun the all-consuming, committed, and eternal grace of God. You can't outsin his love. You can't. If you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ. If you are one of his sheep, there is no snatching you from his hand. If you've been adopted into the family of God, the certificate of adoption is not being ripped up today. If you are a follower of Jesus, then it is not the passion with which you follow, but the one that you are following that will hold you to the end. He will lead you into eternal life. He will guarantee that you never perish, that a cancer diagnosis or a job loss won't careen your train of your life off the tracks. He will guarantee that nothing derails you. He will guarantee it. Friends, when we get this, we start to sing with David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. Though I lose everyone I love, even then, I will be confident. Though I can't get out of the cycle of sin, even then, I will be confident. Though I'm caught in a spiral of depression, even then, I will be confident. Even then. Even then. Listen, my desire, my bone-deep desire this week has been that Jesus' glimpse into the inner life of God would help us sleep tonight. Because Jesus isn't guessing when it comes to your security. He's not guessing when it comes to his identity. If he is in the Father and the Father is in him and he and his Father are one, then he is outside of time. And he is not just making a prediction that nobody will snatch you from the Father's hand. He has seen the beginning from the end. He's telling you a fact. He's seen it happen. Remember God's words to the Israelites, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is not a speculative promise. Those aren't the words of a, a kind of guru, a religious guru saying, this is what I think God is like. No, God has seen the end of all things. He knows he won't leave you. He knows he won't forsake you. He knows he will cause you to persevere. He knows he will not allow anyone to snatch you from the Father's hand. He's seen it happen. You don't need to worry. We don't need to worry. We don't need to lie in bed at night wondering if our faith is strong enough to get to the end. We can have confidence. You might feel like you're clinging on for dear life. Like every day the voice of doubt is stronger than the voice of faith like you have no confidence whatsoever in who Jesus says he is, even less confidence in your ability to kind of hold yourself to the end. Or 
receive the words of Jesus to you this morning. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Lord, I thank you that we can have confidence. Not because against all of our intuitions we've chosen to believe the words of some prophet. Not because we have just crossed our fingers and hoped that things will work out. But Lord, because you have seen the end of all things. You have seen and you know that your sheep, Jesus, will never fall away will never be snatched from your hands. Lord, we want to rest in that security this morning. Confess that we often just try and work ourselves up to do enough to feel confident, to believe enough to feel confident. We together, we just lay those things aside this morning, Lord. And we pick up the certain promise of Jesus. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. Would you whisper that promise to us again, Lord? For those of us who need to hear it, for those of us who feel we are on the brink, Holy Spirit, would you whisper Jesus' promises to our spirits again this morning? Would you rise us, uh, waken us up again into confidence? We thank you, Lord, that you are in the Father and the Father is in you. And because we are in you, Jesus, we are in the Father and we are eternally secure. We worship you. We welcome you to come and meet with us as we respond to your word.